praise this morning. Aren't you thankful? You can be seated. Aren't you glad you got something to look forward to? Man, I, I like the way Paul said it. Uh, he said, the Lord himself, the righteous judge on that day will give me that crown. Amen. We're, we're doing all of this. We're living for the Lord. Thank you, ladies. Good song. You changed keys on me and left me over there. I didn't know where to go. But um, the, um, we, we, we live for the Lord, not because we're going to get a crown someday or because he's going to give us a robe or even for the mansion. We worship the Lord and we live for him because of who he is and because he's worthy of it. Amen. And unfortunately, many times, in fact, this is kind of a good segue into the message, I guess. We serve the Lord kind of for what's in it for us a lot of times. Uh, and that's kind of backwards, really. Because believe, here's the thing. Servant, when we serve God, there's a lot in it for us. Amen. We get to reap the benefits of Almighty God and what he wants to do and will do in our lives. But really, worshiping, serving God ought to be more about what's in it for him than what's in it for us. Amen. So on that note, if you grab your Bible and turn it to the book of Second, Second Chronicles, rather, uh, Old Testament, there's Corinthians and there's Chronicles. This is Chronicles in the Old Testament. Second Chronicles chapter number 6, uh, along the lines of verse number 12. Kind of a, kind of a simple message this morning. This, this message today almost has a, a little bit of a Bible study feel to it. Um, but I hope, I hope you learned something. I hope that maybe this will put some things in perspective uh, for you a little bit today. Second Chronicles chapter 6, verse 12. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands. Solomon had made a, a bronze platform five cubits long, five cubits wide and three cubits high, and set it in the court, and he stood on it. Then he knelt on his knees in the presence of all the assembly of Israel, and spread out his hands toward heaven and said, O Lord, God of Israel, I'm coming in just a little hot. I'm here in a ring. If you don't care to turn me down just a little bit. Uh, and said, O Lord, God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven or on earth, keeping covenant and showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with all their heart. And the title of my message this morning is Expressions of Worship. Let's pray today. Father, we come before you, Lord, as we have uh, underwent, Lord, of worship service. We sang songs, we clapped our hands, we raised our hands. Lord, we did all of those things that we hope and pray wasn't just motions, but God, that it was a true expression of our hearts, God, that our gratitude, our thanksgiving for who you are, not only for what you've done for us, although we definitely praise you for that, but we praise you because of who you are, creator, redeemer, savior, healer. You're our Lord, and we thank you, and we love you for it, and we just want to express that wholeheartedly to you today. I pray for your anointing as I bring this message God, that I believe you have placed in my heart, that it might find a resting place in the hearts of every individual. God, that we might learn better how to connect with you. God, to pour every fiber of our being into what we do for you. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. 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 I want to talk about our expressions of worship in this particular, well, first of all, an expression, um, there's different meanings to it, but in this particular context, an expression basically is the process of making known somebody's thoughts or feelings. The process of making known what you're thinking and what you're feeling. So in this scripture we just got done reading, uh, Solomon gathers all of Israel together and God had given him a specific task to build a temple. Up until that point, the Israelites kind of had a portable church. It was just a big tent that they took up and put, or put up and took down and put up everywhere they went. But in Jerusalem, Solomon built a temple where it was an established place of worship. 
okay, where not just where they could go and have church, but where people literally had a point of contact with God, okay? They could come to God. God was speaking there. They'd bring their sacrifices. It was that point of contact where they could show worship. They'd bring their sacrifices, showing worship unto God, okay, in, in Jerusalem. And so, you know, it was a major undergoing. You can imagine, I mean, this was, this from start to finish, this church, uh, you know, was a two and a half year, year, year long project, but you can imagine how long it took to build, and that was with power tools and air compressors and, and uh, you know, the big cranes and all that kind of stuff. You can imagine how long it took to build the temple uh, over, underlaid with, overlaid with gold and, and all of the stuff that went on with that. It's a major undergoing, and so they finally get it finished. But the whole thing was about having a place to worship God. And if you read back the whole process, the Bible says that people, they were bringing materials and everybody was excited about this thing. And so they get it done and now is the dedication service of the temple. And Solomon, the king, okay, the most powerful man in Israel, in the world probably in that day and time, brings all of the Israelites together to dedicate the temple. And you can imagine in your mind now, this guy that was Powerful, he was the king, but he wasn't too proud to get down on his knees and raise his hands toward heaven. And he began to say, and I want to reread what I, that last verse, as he, he expressed what was in his heart. And, and the worship that was in his heart, found here in verse number 14, was, he said, Lord God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven and in earth, keeping covenant and showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with all their heart. So Lord, there is no God like you and we're here to lift up, we're here to glorify you because of who you are. And he expressed that by getting down on his knees and lifting his hands. An expression is the process of making known outwardly what you're feeling and thinking inwardly. That's an expression. And so let me, let me give you an example. Me thinking about loving my sweetie doesn't let her know that I love her. I'm thinking to myself, man, I just love her. What a woman. Man, she's just so good to me and I love her. And I'm thinking that I can think all of these great thoughts about my wife, and I do. But if I don't, if I, if I don't express that to her, she doesn't know that I love her, right? So I, I'm thinking to myself, I love her. That doesn't let her know. But when I, when I say to her, sweetie, I love you, or when I give her flowers or something like that, that is an expression of how I feel. Okay, so, so which do you think she prefers? Me thinking about how much I love her or me expressing to her how much I love her? She likes the flowers, right? I forgot one time. <laughs> one time in 23 years, that's not a bad record. She was patient, she understood. But, but the bottom line is she appreciates the expression, not just me thinking about it, but the expression. I'm showing her how much I love her. So which do you think God prefers? Me thinking about how much I love him? Me having all kinds of good intentions of what I'll do for him one of these days when I get around to it? God, you're such a good God. One of these days, I'm going to show you how much I preach. You think, does God like, does he prefer me thinking about it? Or does he prefer the expressions of my worship? Does he prefer me to show him how much I love him by expressing it through various acts of worship? Same, same goes for God. Amen? It's not just our good intentions and our thoughts. God, God inhabits our praises. It, it blesses God. We think we're so caught up in God blessing us, aren't we? We're all, oh, God bless us. Oh, God bless us. But, but worship says, God, I want to bless you. And at some point in time in every Christian's life, we, we have to put ourselves aside and just say, God, I want to honor you. I want to do whatever you want me to do because I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for you. 
These guys didn't know what I was going to be preaching about this morning, but Lord, you're all I want. You're all I need. I'm coming before you not to ask you for a thing, just to thank you for what you've already done to worship you because of who you are. Worship, let me give you the definition. I like definitions. Sometimes we can think we know what something means. When you really start digging into it a little deeper, you think, well, but I didn't really understand that at all. So the definition of worship, and get this, the expression, <laughs> the expression of reverence, honor, and adoration to God. If I honor God, I love God, I adore God, worship is me expressing that in an outward form of some, some kind, making known. There is a huge difference, get me now, there's a huge difference in acknowledging God and adoring God. Big difference. If I, I can acknowledge God, anybody, a lot of people do that, look around and say, well, I acknowledge, it. yeah, there's a God out there somewhere. There's, God, there's a God that created him. It doesn't take nothing to acknowledge God, but to adore him, yes. to love him, to yield everything to him is something entirely different. That's what God is looking for. God doesn't, want, God doesn't just want a bunch of people running around believing in his existence. He wants people going around who adore him, who love him, and express it through their actions. Amen? I can acknowledge I have a wife. That doesn't express how much I adore her. Acknowledge that she exists. You can see she exists right there. I adore her. I love her. I would do anything for her. I would die for her. I would. And so I express to her how much I love her. Probably not enough. Guarantee not enough. And I don't express to God near enough how much I love and adore him. Amen? Different ways. I want to talk about, this is the, kind of the Bible study section, I guess, uh, of this message. I'm just thinking about throughout Scripture, I mean, Genesis to Revelation, some of the things that the Bible talks about, the expressions of worship, things that we do that express to God from the, on, on an outward, in an outward way how much we love him on the inside. I just want to real quickly, I'm going to give you a... Uh, a checklist here. This is not exclusive. Obviously, there's a lot of ways to worship God, but here's just a few that we know of in Scripture and things that we do probably on a regular basis. I'm going to give you the what it is and then give you a Scripture just to kind of back it up, and I'm going to move through this kind of quickly, okay? So, number one, singing, right? We, we just did that. Uh, Ephesians 5 and 19 says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and, singing and making melody to the Lord with your what? Is it up there? There it is. With your what? With your voice? With your tongue? With your lips? With your piano? With your drums? No. With your, say it together, heart. Making melody to God with our, our heart. Singing is a way of we worship God, singing psalms into one another. Did anybody feel the presence of God this morning as we joined together in singing? Amen. You're all I want. God, that's what we were singing. Worship God. You're all I want. Lord, you're all I need. Clapping hands, Psalm 47 and 1. Clap your hands, all people. Shout to God with loud shouts of joy. That's why we were trying to get you to shout and be loud a minute ago, amen? Shout to, the, shout to God with loud shouts of joy. My goodness, we, we shout for a lot less, don't we? Our, our team, here we go, you know, preachers get on their soapbox. Our, our team scores a touchdown, we shout. Woo! I mean, we roar the stadiums. Or our couch. I mean, I, I mean, I'm watching my team, they score, and I'm loud. I mean, we just, we shout for a lot of us, and then when it comes to things of God, we're like, woo You know what I mean? What a, what a difference. I mean, what, what more, what more could we shout about than the goodness of God? Amen? 
So we clap our hands as a form of worship. God, we thank you for all that you've done. Not to mention that just makes the song better. Everybody gets their hands going. Raising hands. Lamentations 3, again, this is not exclusive. There are many, many, many verses about all of these things, and I'm not going to go through all these. I'm just giving you one verse that pertains to all of these things. <clears throat> but some of you, you know, this may be new to you, and you may be here and you're thinking, why are these lunatics lifting their hands like this? This is why. Lamentations 3 and 41 says, let us lift up our hearts and hands to God in heaven. I think Paul said, forget which letter it was, we lift up, lifting up holy hands. There's a, there, it's a form of worship when we lift our hands to God. If, 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 two, if two armies are, are in battle with one another and one of those armies decides to, to surrender, what do they do with their hands? Right? The police comes along and they say, freeze, put up your, it's a, it's a sign of surrender, right? We say, God, I surrender, I, I give you my life. Do in me what you want me to do. It's, it's just a, it's a, we lift our hands because it's a form of, of praise. We're making ourselves vulnerable before God. It's not that we have to raise our hands in order to, to worship God, but it's, but it's a, it's a good thing. I, I love to do it. I do it. You don't have to do it, but I would encourage you to try it sometime. You might like it, but we, it says raising hands. We're just, we're worshiping God and lifting up praise unto him. Amen. Kneeling. Never thought about that as a form of praise, did you? But look, listen to this, Psalms 95 and 6. It says, Oh, come and let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Let's come before God and kneel. There's times, you know, the Bible teaches us to pray without ceasing. And you can pray going down the road. You can pray, uh, you can pray in the woods. You can pray working. You can pray anywhere. But there's times for me, there's times where I just want to get down on my knees. You know what I mean? There's times where I just want to kneel. It's like I'm giving God a little bit more of myself that way. I'm worshiping him in the sense that I'm saying, okay, God, I'm not going to do anything else right now. I'm not going to pray to you while I'm staying in my deck. I'm going to get down on my knees and I'm going to give you my undivided attention for just a little bit. And that, that kneeling becomes a form of worship where we realize we're the servants and he's the master. Amen? We, we make ourselves humble before God. That's what being on your knees, it's, it's all about bringing yourself down and bring, being humble before God and realizing I can't do anything, Lord, without you. These are all things, you know, the singing, clapping hands, raising your hands, kneeling, all of these things are things that, that we, we do in church, we can do in church, but not just in church. I mean, all of these things are encouraged. I'd like to say, do more of these things in church, but these are things you do at home, things that you can do driving, you know, down the road in your car, things you do, in your, although I probably wouldn't recommend raising both hands while you're driving down the road in your car, uh, you know, 10 and 2, keep, keep your hand on the wheel, although there have been times I've been in my car driving down the road and have the radio station, you know, the gospel radio station playing and just get to thinking about that song, the message that's in that song and get caught up in that. And you know, there's been times I've driving the road and I just start crying and weeping and just praising God. And you know, I have my eyes closed, my hands raised, you know, and me falling out in the spirit. No, not really. But I mean, driving down the road, I'm like, praise the Lord and, and get to where I'm going and think, I don't even know how I got here, right? So praise, worship and praise is not just confined within the walls of the church house. Worship is something that takes place within, you know, within our heart, right? That can come out in any moment and any time. Solomon was all excited about a temple that they could go and worship the Lord in, but what's the temple now? Is it this building? No, no, no. The Bible, Paul said, what? 
Don't you, don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? Our body is now where God resides. Our body should be a continual place, house of worship. Amen? Our body, we should be in a continual state of worship. There's times anywhere, a tree stand. Man, some of you guys that like to hunt, there ain't nothing more holy than a tree stand. I'm telling you. Some of you guys look at your wife and say, I told you. That, that's why I go hunting, to be with the Lord, <laughs> right? I'm going to church and in my tree stand, you know. But I mean, honestly, everywhere we go, you sit in a, I sit in a tree stand or a, or a blind and just get to thinking about God, looking out there, watch his squirrel gathering his, you know, his nuts. He's preparing for dinner, and I, or for, well, for dinner, but for winter. And, and I just begin, you see God all around you. There's, there's got to be something in you that just goes, God, thank you. Thank you that you provide for you. You provide even for a squirrel, for the birds, and you love me even more than you love them. Thank you for providing for me. It's just it's a we are a temple of worship. We carry we should carry that everywhere we go. Singing, clapping hands, raising hands, kneeling, tithing, giving. Uh, Leviticus twenty-seven to thirty-two, and every tithe of herds and flocks, every tenth animal of all that possess. Under the herds, herdsman's staff shall be holy to the Lord. Tithing, when we give to, uh, the offering, it's not just you know putting money in the offering plate to keep the lights on. It's literally a form of worship. Um, offerings, when you give offerings, whether you're uh, given to somebody or to a cause, all of these things are forms of worship where we take what God, we recognize God has given me the ability to work and have all of these things and therefore I return. What God said you know, in the, in the Old Testament is he established this concept. God said, I tell you what, for when you, you make $10, you keep nine of it and just, and just give a dollar of that back to me. That's, he's not asking a lot really. But the point of what, what he's looking for is not the money. What he's looking for is our heart in the giving, right? And that we're, we're so appreciative that God has given us the power and the strength to work and to make a living that we return to God, uh, you know, a tenth of that in order for God then to take that and use it to feed the poor and to do the work of the ministry and all of these types of things. So, so it's a form of giving offerings and things of that nature you know we we read uh there's one particular story in the new testament where um jesus they're, they're sitting there around the temple and there's there's a big offering coffer big you know they didn't pass it around they just had one people come by and they would they would drop it in and so all of these rich people were coming by and putting in offerings of a lot of money and here comes this little widow lady and she throws in i can't remember what the dollar amount was but i mean we're talking pennies dollar figure was minuscule to nothing and she throws in this little bit of money and Jesus said this woman her offering was actually more acceptable to God than the I want to say thousand dollars that these rich guys were giving and the reason why her offering was more acceptable unto God the Bible says is because she gave all that she had again it wasn't about it wasn't about the dollar figure it's not I'm not it's not to say that if you don't empty your checking account every time the offering bowl goes by, you're not worried. It's not about the amount. It's about her heart and their heart with the giving. You understand what I'm talking about? These people were giving, but they were giving so that everybody would see how much they were giving. Right? That's not a true offering. God says, I'm not, I'm not accepting that at all. But when this little lady comes by and she puts hers in, just simply because she says, God, you're good to me. God, you have been faithful to me. And therefore, I give an offering back to you. An offering can be money. It can be time. Our worship, in a sense, when we praise God, is an, is an offering. Lord, I offer unto you. you. You've made an offering by being here today, haven't you? You could be out doing anything, but you, you're here worshiping and praising God. That offering, because of your heart. We, we look at, you know, like the, 
The little boy's lunch that we read about, whenever the multitude was there and they're hungry, and, and, and Jesus, the, the disciples are trying to figure out a way to feed everybody. We're talking 5,000 to 10,000 people, and this little boy has a lunch, right? Two, two little fish and two or five loaves of bread, and he brings that to Jesus, and Jesus takes what this little boy gives him, just a little bit. It's just a little amount. I mean, in fact, they come and they say, well, what have we got? And they say, well, you know, this little boy gave us his lunch. I mean, two fish and five loaves. And they say, well, what's that going to, that's not going to help us. There's 10,000 people out here. What is this among so many? Jesus takes the little boy's lunch, blesses it, breaks it, and breaks it, and breaks it, and breaks it, and they filling up baskets. And he ends up feeding an entire multitude off of one little offering that a little boy brought with his heart. Amen. God's looking, sometimes, hey, big things are great. And sometimes God calls us to do big things. Sometimes God calls us to sacrifice till it hurts. In fact, really, sacrifice isn't sacrifice unless it hurts a little, right? Isn't that true? Some God, sometimes God calls us to sacrifice in different ways, in big ways. But many times, folks, some, some of the things God asks of us, are they're small. Sometimes the smallest acts of praise goes a long way with God. It honors him. It blesses his heart. And that's what matters. Offerings, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> helping others is a form of worship. Helping people that you see that are in need. You know, we've been doing these food trucks here for the past several months. And that's a sacrifice. That's a lot of work. A lot of people coming together to do that. And we're not doing it necessarily just, just because there's food there and we want to give it away. It's, it's an act of worship. Here's what Jesus said. Listen to this. Um, Matthew 25, 40, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. You know, he's given, he's given a parable and he said, uh, you have, these that he's speaking to, he said, when I was hungry, Jesus, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me to drink. When I was in prison, you came to see me. When I was naked, you gave me something to wear. And the people answered and said, Lord, when did we do these things for you? I don't remember, I mean, you're God. I don't remember ever seeing you needing food and me give it to you. And Jesus said, when you do it for somebody else, you're doing it unto me. Literally, to help somebody in need, God said, I consider that an act of worship unto me who created them. Amen? God loves every soul. He loves everybody. And so when somebody gives of themselves to help somebody else, God said, I, I take that as a personal favor to myself. We can understand that concept. If somebody does something kind for your children, don't you kind of take that as a favor to you? You love your kids. And when somebody does something nice for your kids, you think, hey, thank you. You feel like, they, like they, not only did they do it for your kid, but they did it for you. And that's the way God feels. Prayer is, is an act of worship. You think, well, I wouldn't have thought about putting that one on the list because isn't that kind of where we ask God for stuff? Prayer is not just asking for things. Amen? Philippians 4 and 6 says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Prayer isn't just asking God for stuff. In fact, prayer is just as much about worshiping and thanking God for what he's already done than it is asking God for him to do something else. P prayer is an act of worship in the sense that we thank God every prayer. Folks, I think that we probably should, I know we should, we should get into the habit to where we don't ever ask God for anything until we've thanked him for what he's already done. Amen. God help us that our prayers are not just a wish list, 
They were not treating you like a genie in the lamp. Poof, God, what, what do you need? Poof, God, I need this. Poof, I need... But that I would come before God in prayer with gratitude and thanksgiving and with honor to thank him and cherish him for what he's already done. Amen? Communion is a form of worship. Jesus said, as often as you do it, drinking the, the wine that represents my blood and you're eating the bread that represents my body, as often as you do it, he said, do it in remembrance of me. Don't, he's not saying do this as a, as a real religious ritual. When you're doing it, remember me. Remember what I went through on the cross for you. And so when we take communion, it's not just a religious act. We're worshiping God by focusing, putting, putting him and the cross out front. So, so okay, God, it's not, about, it's not about my need. It's not about my bills that need to be paid. It's not about my sickness. I'm, I'm putting you at the cross, out front, and giving you the, the praise that you deserve because of what you did for me there at Calvary. Amen? As often as you do it, he said, do it in remembrance of me. And that's just a small list. And, and the list goes on and on. These are, those are things that we think about, again, within a church service. or But, I mean, church ministry, all acts of worship church, you know, for example, um, you know, leading worship, and what they did up here today, obviously, is, is worship. Uh, those who teach classes, whether it be youth classes, adult classes, when you teach a class, it's, it's, it's a form of worship. And we use the gifts and the talents, and not only, not only the area of ministry, but just in the area of what I call church chores. I mean, the, every, the, the, the everyday-to-day tasks that, that help the church to function in a proper way. And then, Mom, taking care of the, the finances, secretarial work. It's not just a duty, it's, it's literally an act of worship to manage the, the finances and the funds that, that come in here. If you, if you clean this church, it's an act of worship unto God. Yeah, you're doing it for your church to be part of the body, but literally God says, hey, when you're cleaning my house, it is an act of worship when we do it with the right heart. Amen? Mowing the lawn, you name it. Anything we do for God is an act of worship, and we should never downplay that. <clears throat> Without... Now, now look, look at this. Think about this for just a second. We're talking about not just worship in our heart, but the expression. So without expression, doing something, putting our worship to work, so to speak, then worship is just lip service. So Jesus said this in Matthew 15, verses 8 and 9. He said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They, got all the, they sing the songs and their lips, they, they get all the right words, but their heart is off in Timbuktu somewhere. Their heart is not really in it. And look at this, what he says, this is powerful. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Speaking of specifically Pharisees and people of that day, they do all of these things. They try to dress this right. They put in the big amounts of they tithe and they say the big elaborate prayers and they do all of this stuff with their mouth. But God, he says, I, I don't even consider it worship because they're not doing it with the right kind of humble heart. Isn't that something? Worship begins in our heart and then flows out of our mouth and out of our hands and out of our feet. Without expression, expressing our worship, worship really isn't worship at all. It's just kind of, it can kind of become useless religious gibberish. And God's never been interested in that. He just never has. If you want to flip over into John chapter 4 real quick. Let's look at an example here. John chapter 4. <clears throat> I'll start reading in verse 21. But just to paint a little bit of a background. Jesus, uh, 
traveling along and he, he went through Samaria on purpose. He knew there was a lady there that he wanted to be able to minister to. And so he goes to Jacob's well and he's thirsty and, and, he be, and he's waiting there for this lady because Jesus knows all things. He knows our hearts. He knows where we're at. And Jesus is always looking for an opportunity to minister to us. I believe that. And this woman who probably didn't feel like she was worth anything for sure to people, but probably even to God. But Jesus wanted to have an encounter with this woman, a point of contact, right? Where he could express to her how much he loved her and that she would have the opportunity then to express her worship to him. So he strikes up and she's surprised that he's even talking to her. Number one, because he's a man. Number in that day, you know, I mean, there's just, they just didn't treat women right always. But number one, he's a man. Number two, he was a Jew. She was a Samaritan. Jews and Samaritans did not get along. They're kind of like Willis Springians and Kabul people, right? They just didn't get along. Jews and, and Samaritans didn't. And she's like, man, this is a Jewish man. He's talking to me. And that, that, that kind of got her attention. And so he begins to, to talk to her just a little bit. And he kind of points out her, her sin. He said, why don't you go get your husband? And she said, well, I don't have a husband. He said, well, I know you don't, but you've had five. You know, he basically, he kind of calls her out on her past lifestyle for just a minute. Just enough, not to condemn her, but just enough for her to see that he was legit. That he knew what he was talking about. And she says this to him. I perceive that you're a prophet. I told you verse 21, but this is actually back in verse uh, 19. The woman said, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain... But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Okay, so let me just a little little background here. Um, first, first of all, she gets all spiritual and religious all of a sudden, right? She realizes, okay, this guy must really be a prophet, so I better put on my A game. And she gets all religious. Well, you know, my fathers, my ancestors, the Samaritans, say that we should worship God on this mountain. It was Mount Ger uh, Gerizim. But your people, the Jews, say that we should worship God in Jerusalem. So here's the thing. When Solomon built the temple in Jerusalem, the Samaritans kind of wanted to help with all that, but the Jews wouldn't let them. So the Samaritans said, fine, we'll go build our own temple. So they went over onto Mount Gerizim and they built their temple. So on Mount Gerizim is where the Samaritans worship God and in Jerusalem is where the Jews worship God. And she brings up this, this situation. And Jesus kind of blows that whole thing out of the water. And this is what he says to her, woman, believe me. The hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. Meaning God is bringing salvation to the world through the Jewish people. But the hour is coming and is now here. When the true worshipers, everybody say true worshipers. I want to be a true worshiper. So, so Jesus says these other people over here, they're doing all these acts of worship and they're doing it in vain. It's not real worship. So now Jesus is here talking about true worshipers. But when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. God is looking for people, not that will go through religious motions. He's not just looking for people who will go to church on Sunday, although I believe he wants us to be in church on Sunday. But God is, Jesus did not go to the cross so that you and I could go to church. Jesus went to the cross so that we could know God. There's a huge difference. It's not just about the religious act, whether you worship in Jerusalem, whether you worship in Mount Gerizim. Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. You're missing the point. It don't matter. It's, it's not about where, okay? God has never been interested in ritual worship. He's not concerned about those things. It's not about the, the where and the how we worship. It's all about the why we worship. Amen? 
That's what God is really concerned about. Not how you do it, not where you do it, whether it's in Gerizim or Jerusalem or whether you do it this way or whether you do it that way. God's not up there saying, boy, no, that church service was really impressive today. They got all their notes right, which he's probably never said about us. I mean, we do well, but I mean, they, they got all their notes right. They were on beat. Man, Ryan was killing it on the drums today. And man, they just got it right. Dennis, boy, he just preached. And all that. no, that's not what God is looking for. He looks past every bit of it. He may say, well, man, he was, that, that guy was a little off key, but no, he looks past all of that and looks right straight down into the core of the heart to know whether or not we're really worshiping him or not. In spirit, not in flesh, not in motion. God's a spirit. You can't worship God with just your flesh. You have to worship him in spirit. Your spirit, not just your body. We can do drums, we can play piano or the guitar, we can do all this stuff with our body. God said, that's not worship. You worship me with your spirit, with your heart that then flows throughout your hands and your feet and your voice and so on and so forth. I'll never forget one time, I preached a revival. This has been years and years ago, long before we started this church. Preached a revival, this little church way out in the boondocks. And there was a little old man that got, they were kind of the period of the service where people were singing specials or whatever. And there was this little old man that got up there to sing. I mean, he was, gosh, he had to be in his 90s probably. Frail, he barely could walk, but he got up there to sing a special. And that man began to sing. There was no, best of my knowledge, there was no music. I don't think anybody could have ever followed him. You know what I mean? There's, there's, a, there's a beat and he wasn't on it. You know, so he's just singing. There's no music. And he gets about three words into this song. What was the song he was singing? Do you remember? Take up thy cross and follow me. He got about four words into that song and tears began to pour down his face. And he stood there and he just gibbered for five minutes. He's singing, you know, I mean, it sounds somewhat like a song because his words are extending, but it didn't sound like a song. I mean, he was not on key. You couldn't understand the words. I mean, it was like, I mean, literally, that's what it sounded like. There was no distinct words. You couldn't hear what he was saying. He was off key, off beat, and that was absolutely no doubt in my mind, the most glorious worship in the ears of God that he had ever heard. Because, I mean, his heart, he just poured tears and he's just worshiping God from his heart. That's the kind of worship God is looking forward to. That's what he desires. That's true worship. We can get everything right, get all the notes and beats and everything right and it not be worship. God, help me to check my heart. Amen? Help me to check my heart. Help me to check my motive that I might be a true worshiper. Focused on the why, not so much the where and the how and so on and so forth. Here's just a little little check, okay? Here's these are four questions that came to my mind as I was preparing this that I asked myself, and I'm just going to ask you to ask yourself, to determine, am I a true worshiper? Do I have a little work to do? We all have work to do. Let's face it. We, we know we do. But here's, here's a couple questions just, just to ponder, okay? Number one, the most important question really, is God worthy to be praised? Is God worthy to be worshiped? Should I, should I really be so arrogant as to think that it's my decision whether I should worship God or not? Wow, that's kind of arrogant. I have to determine, is God worthy 
to be worshiped. And how you answer that question, there's only two ways to answer that question. I mean, either no, he's not worthy to be worshiped, then you got a whole other set of problems, right? But I think everybody would surely acknowledge, yes, God is, is worthy to be worshiped. We'd come to another question, which I don't have my list, but then why wouldn't I? If God's worthy to be worshiped and I can acknowledge, yes, he's worthy to be worshiped, why would I not? In an expression, not just, not just in my mind and good intentions, but why wouldn't I want to express my worship to him if he's, if he's worthy of it? Second question, is my worship true or pew? <laughs> okay. Give me a break. That was the only word I could think of that rhymed with true. That got my, that got my point across. Does my worship stink or does it smell? You know, it's funny whenever in the Old Testament, when you look at all of these, uh, the sacrifices that they would, they'd burn offerings that they would make, bring these lambs and so on and so forth, and they would offer them on an altar, a burnt offering. And, and the Bible says that, that that was a sweet-smelling savor unto God. Now, I can only imagine that burning hair and flesh of a lamb doesn't smell good. It's not that that smelt good to God. What smelt good to God was the worship from the hearts of the people who brought the sacrifices, right? They would bring their sacrifices if they brought them willingly. That's what God said. I mean, from the beginning to the end. I realize that the Old Testament and the New Testament are different, and we don't necessarily worship in that way anymore. We don't bring sacrifices. But there's one thing God has always wanted from his worshipers, and that is that we do it willingly with a pure heart. And so when they would bring these sacrifices willingly, it was a sweet-smelling savor unto God. I believe that when we worship God with our heart, when we help somebody with, you know, a heart of compassion, whatever, whatever way that we express our worship to God, when we do it wholeheartedly, willingly, it's a sweet-smelling savor unto God, as opposed to the pew, right, the stench that if literally God gives indications throughout his scripture that Honestly, God would rather people not worship him at all than just to worship him willy-nilly, you know. Some people come and they offer me some sort of a sacrifice or worship and it's not with their heart and they're wanting to be seen by people, whatever. God says, that's kind of stinky, really. So you can only, only you can answer the question, you and God together, does your worship stink? Or is it, is it true? Are you, is it sincere? Third question, is my worship bitter or sweet? Just simply meaning, is it forced do I feel it to be an obligation? Do I do it through gritted teeth? Or is it willing? Amen? Is it from a pure heart? Fourth question that came to my mind was, is my heart really in it or am I robotic? And we can, we can get robotic about anything. I don't think it would do Sweetie much good if I said to her, I love you, sweetie. You are the best person in the world. And I say that to her every day the same way. I love you, sweetie. You are the best person in the world. I love you, sweetie. You are the best person. I mean kind of loses something after a while, right? Wants a little bit more emotion in there. And we can be pretty robotic when it comes to serving God. Been there, done that, not pointing fingers. We can, we can get on autopilot sometimes in our service to God. And the things that we do, we use our talents and our gifts we talk about whether it's, you know, running sound and media or teaching class or, or whatever. And it can become so much like a job or a duty that we kind of can get sick of it and we can, it becomes a dread and we become on autopilot and just kind of go through the motions. And I'm just praying that God stir my heart and that God stir your heart, that everything we do for him, we do in spirit and in truth. Amen? From a willing heart, 
David said, said this. He said, Lord, um, my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will, not, you will not delight in, in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. And ultimately what David is saying is, Lord, you've never been interested in just vain, useless, religious rituals. You're looking for my heart. For it to be broken, for it to be vulnerable before you, that you might shape it the way you want it to be. That was the whole issue between Cain and Abel, by the way. You go back to the very beginning, and the Bible says that Cain brought an offering to God, and Abel brought an offering to God. Cain was a, a gardener. He, was, he, he planted and grew things from the ground. Abel was a keeper of the sheep. They both brought their offering before God, and the Bible says that God respected Abel's sacrifice, but he did not, or offering, but he did not uh, accept Cain's offering. Why? What was the difference? Abel brought the best that he had. I mean, he brought it with a, a good heart, a true heart. Cain brought just his leftovers. That's a good, that's a good fifth question. Am I giving God my leftovers or am I giving him my best? I wish I hadn't said that. That brought me under conviction. See, we, we preachers get under conviction too. Some, some things we don't plan on saying and God says, I'll show you. I'll have you say this while you're preaching and then it'll bring you under conviction too. Am I giving God my best or am I giving God my leftovers? That's all what it boiled down to. And see the thing about it, Cain got all mad at God because he didn't accept his sacrifice. And God said, look, Cain, what are you all, what are you, all uh, you know, aggravated and upset for? If you do well, will you not be accepted? He said, look, you're, you're mad at me, but you're the one that gave me your leftovers. If you do well, if you give me your heart and you worship me in spirit and in truth, I'll accept you just the same as I accept Abel. It wasn't that I love him any more than I love you. It's just that he brought me his best. You brought me your leftovers. That's the difference. But if you don't, he said, if you don't do well, sin crouches at the door. So, so long that'll be acceptable with our, uh, our, uh, our leftovers. I mean, he's just basically saying, man, put your heart in it, man. Look at your neighbor and say, put your heart in it, man. <laughs> You did not put your heart in that at all. <laughs> let, me, let me leave you with this verse. I love this scripture. It's in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. I love this. But God showed, showed, but God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God expressed. He didn't just say, I really love that world. We'd have never known it. We'd have been down here trapped in our sin, bound for hell. We'd have never known God loved us. He's up there going, boy, I feel sorry for these people. I really love them. We would have never known. So God expressed his love to us by sending his only son to die on the cross in our place. A punishment, a death we deserve because of our sin. And he's going to have his son come and take our punishment and die instead of us. God showed his love to us. That while we were sinners, not after we got good and religious, while we were still sinners, living in our sin, rejecting God, during that period, that's when God did what he did for us. So God expressed his love to us through the cross, and we then express our love for him through our worship. Amen? Expressed, shown, visible, he showed himself, his love, and we return that. Don't be ashamed. Boy, Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
God's done so much for me and I owe him so much and I'm, I'm not going to be timid about the way I worship him. Amen? Whatever that worship looks like. Hallelujah. Bow with me this morning. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we come before you yet again today. and We declare this morning together as one that you are truly worthy of our worship. The songs, the giving, the kneeling, the praying, the helping other people, everything we do. God, we know those are things that we should do. And we thank you for making, them, making that known to us. But I pray, God, that you would take us, each and every one, to a whole other level when it comes to our worship. Not through gritted teeth, not through grudges, not through frustration, grudgingly, but with willing hearts, God. Help us to raise up as your people, bringing our gifts, bringing our talents, our worship to you, pure, true, the best. Forgive us for offering to you our leftovers so many times. Thank you for your patience and your love. And I pray this morning as we come before you at the conclusion of this service, as you search hearts, we've talked about worship in this house being a point of contact, a place where people can, can meet you. And I pray, God, as you search hearts today, if there be any that's, that's unsaved, God, would you just save them today? I believe that you're dealing with their hearts, and I pray that this would be the day that they surrender to you, that they answer your call and are born again. Those of us, Lord, who are already born again, Lord, I pray that you'd let our light shine brighter. Strengthen us in our faith, that our faith not waver. Help us, God. We're so selfish. I pray that you would help us to, to humble ourselves and make things, make life more about you than we make it about ourselves. Do what you want to do in our hearts individually today in Jesus' name.